Paul's letter to the Christians at Ephesus, the sixth chapter, beginning to read at the tenth verse. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we are not contending against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the equipment of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you can quench all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, and to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that utterance may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Amen and amen. Our friend the Apostle Paul was a great man, and he knew much about many things. We know that he was an authority on both the words and the works of Jesus, and therefore has become the framer and former of much of our theological thinking system. One of the things I like about Paul is that he was a great person who had an interest in athletics. He was athletic-minded. He was an individual who we don't know whether or not was a participant. Remember, he had that thorn in his flesh. We don't know what it was. But if he was not a participant, believe me, I think he was a seasoned box holder at the arena in whatever city he lived. Just look at his illustrations. They come right out of the sports field. He was also a man that knew much about soldiering and soldiers. I guess that's because he spent so much time in jail. But he knew all about soldiers. And recently, I think I have discovered or had, had revealed to me something about Paul that I never realized before. I may be wrong. But I think he was an expert in the fashion of clothes. I think he was somewhat of a clothes horse. I say that because 
Not only was he born in an aristocratic home and knew the quality of cloth, but remember he was a tent maker. And I think as a tent maker he had to know cloth. Look also, and you'll find that when he got that call to go over to Macedonia there in Philippi, the first person that he introduced to Jesus Christ was Lydia. Lydia, a person who dealt in clothing. And it said that Paul and his disciples made their home at the home of Lydia. And I'm sure around the dining room table, after talking theology, they talked about fashions. And remember, Paul was a scholar, yet when he writes his second letter to Timothy, and he tells him, Timothy, come quickly. But when you come, he says, even before bringing my books and parchments, bring the coat that I left in Troas. He had a favorite coat, probably a camel's hair. And he wanted it. Excuse the pun, but I think the Apostle Paul was quite a dapper dad. I'm convinced of it. But he would agree with you and me that clothes do not make the person. No, no. But he would also agree that clothes can definitely help a person in life as he fights the various battles. Clothes will never make you or me, but they can help us. They can help us. And remember that, no matter what side you are on, the revolution that is going on against and with the traditional code of dress. I understand the quickest way to get an argument going in a household is to discuss what junior or mother or father will wear. Clothes do not make the person, but they can help you and me in our different walks of life. A football player dressed to go out for 60 minutes of combat would look silly dressed that way on a basketball court or on a baseball diamond, but it's his very salvation out on the gridiron. And if he went out dressed as a basketball player, heaven help him. I guess a soldier dressed in civvies could do all right and probably save his neck, but in battle he does much better when he's in his battle outfit. Somebody who is a mechanic would have a hard time working in the type of dress that, say, a president of a company wears, and vice versa. You see, clothes definitely do help or hurt us in what activity we are involved. And I don't care how many laws the Office of Equal Opportunity writes against discrimination, I don't know of a personnel employer yet who is not either impressed or distressed by the appearance of the applicant who has come looking for a job. That's human nature. Now, physical dress is important. But what Paul is trying to say here is that no matter how important that is, your spiritual wardrobe is even more important. And if you're going to fight the battles in life, you better make sure you have a good spiritual wardrobe. And then he goes on to delineate exactly what should be in that closed closet on our bodies. 
One, he says you want to have a belt of truth. The more recent versions, like the English version, the New English Version Bible says, you should have girded tightly around you a belt of truth. Now, as I started to study this passage, I thought Paul was a little mixed up. I don't think anybody gets dressed first by putting on his belt. As a matter of fact, the belt is about the last thing you put on, because what is the purpose of a belt? For men, at least, it is to hold the trousers up, the shirt in, and the stomach in, in that order. And it's that particular garment that holds everything together. And if you're a man and you've ever gone out and forgotten to take your belt, <laughs> if you ever want to see a man disarmed, see him when he has forgotten his belt. If you want to see a man walk down the street and he looks more like Charlie Chaplin than his usual gait, he's forgotten his belt. I think of absolutely nothing more horrendous than going to a buffet dinner having forgotten your belt. You have a decision to make. You're either going to let the food fill you up or you're going to let the pants drop. I know as a preacher, as a preacher, I would have a very difficult time, as most of you know, getting a sermon off the ground if I couldn't use my hands. Always said, the Lord did not raise me in Squirrel Hill for nothing. <laughs> and I have to use my hands. And if I were to come here and have forgotten my belt, that sermon would never have gotten off the ground because my hands would be in my pocket to keep my trousers from going to the ground. You see what happens? There's no freedom. There's no liberty. There's no power if you have no belt. And what Paul is trying to say is simply gird yourself with the belt of truth. Tie everything together. Tie it in. Hold it up with truth. Jesus said it. Know the truth. Know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And if you are determined in this life that you are going to snug tightly and gird about your ideas and philosophy, the garment of truth. You're going to have freedom. You're going to have power. You're going to have a strong defense. You're going to be able to withstand the enemy. But when it's in the area of not knowing the truth, and not girding yourself with the truth, as God reveals the truth to you. The enemy is not only going to attack you, he'll destroy you. Because it's that belt of truth that keeps everything together and supports and upholds. Secondly, he says you want to put on a breastplate of righteousness. Now, I haven't seen many sales on breastplates. Kaufman's, Horton's, Gimbel's, you might find it at the, the old Cracker Barrel. 
that I don't think you're going to find too many breastplates about. If Paul were writing today, I think he would say, make sure you have a shirt or a blouse or some type of inner garment that covers the vital organs of your torso. Cover that which is important, the heart, the lungs, with cloth of righteousness. And notice what he says. He says, put it on. He doesn't say go out and find one, go out and buy one. He acts as though we already have it. And we do have the cloth of righteousness. It has been woven together using a thread from Moses and a thread from the prophets and all of these have been carefully seen together with the teachings of Jesus that gives unto us a coat, a cloth, a breastplate of righteousness. Now, those who believe in situation ethics and the new morality will probably have a hard time buying that because they want to say everything is relative. I think we've gone through that long enough to realize there's not much truth in that. Whether you want to accept it really doesn't matter because God, though, nevertheless says there is a code of righteousness. There is such a thing as righteousness. There are standards. There are teachings. There are right things to do. And it's not as difficult to figure them out as we might want to think. The important thing is, though, that we clothe, cover those vital organs with this cloth of righteousness, the heart from which comes the love or the hate, the lungs which produces the wind for the speech. Those particular garments cover those vital organs so that when we speak, we speak rightly. Clothe yourself with that righteousness that says honesty is right. Trustworthiness is right. Being a dependable witness and telling the truth is right. Faithfulness is right. Loyalty is right. Generosity is right. Gentleness is right. Kindness is right. Loving. Yes, loving even your enemies. That's right. Let's not make apology for it. If you clothe yourself with the shirt of righteousness, you're putting on the armor of God. And when you stand around with torn shirts of indecision and undecisiveness, you have not on the armor of God. If your answer is yes, let it be yes. If it is no, let it be no. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Three. He says put on shoes. Shoes that are comfortable. Shoes that can aren't too heavy, that can give you a good start, and shoes that are sold with peace. With peace. That's very important, because you see, as agents of Jesus Christ, ambassadors, 
We are reconcilers. Did you realize that? Our job, according to the Bible, is to be a reconciling agent. The Spirit of God working through us to reconcile uh, God to people, people to people, persons to themselves. And our job is to reconcile. It means that when we enter into a confrontation, an explosion, a discussion, controversy, we're to go in with the shoes of peace as peacemakers. Now, that's very difficult to do in this day. In this day, when it seems the mass media is more interested in panic than it is in peace, when they seem to be interested more in the sensational rather than with the silence that comes with goodness, it's very difficult today to make for peace. Heard the other day about a man who was in the supermarket pushing one of those carts where you can put not only your food, but if your child is small enough, you can put him there on the top shelf. This woman watched the man. She couldn't help but notice him because the little child was screaming at the top of his voice. He was complaining and yelling and crying and demanding. He was a little monster. And this woman heard the man say, Now, Alvin, be quiet. Be calm. Everything will be all right, Alvin. Be still. She met him two aisles down, as you do in a supermarket, and still the noise was going on, except it was worse. The child was a bigger monster, two rows down. And again, she heard the father say, Alvin, be calm. Alvin, quiet. Alvin, everything will be all right. Three rows down, they met again, and she couldn't take it anymore because it, the same process was going on. Finally, she said, excuse me, sir. Excuse me for butting in, but don't you think if you did something to that boy, instead of saying soothing words to Alvin, things would be better? He said, woman, you don't understand. I'm Alvin. The good Lord never expected any of us to say peace when there is no peace. But he does expect us when we are in a fight, when we must confront, when we must discuss. He doesn't want us to hang our heads in the sand he doesn't want us merely to talk to ourselves. He expects and demands that we go in with shoes sewed with peace. And I bring this up, ladies and gentlemen, because it's very important. Because what you have heard about this past week concerning our United Presbyterian Church, I want to be fair, and I want to say all of that began, as I'm sure most of you have forgotten, over two years ago, when a presbytery came to the General Assembly, the 188th meeting in Baltimore, and asked for help in a situation 
where they needed advice. A young man up there who passed his oral and written examinations with flying colors and was qualified in all ways, in his interview announced that he was an avowed practicing homosexual. And the presbytery said, give us help. Should we ordain him or should we not? And they overtured the 188th General Assembly meeting in Baltimore. I was there. I led the Pittsburgh delegation that year and was a voting member. And they came asking for our help, for our advice. Some of us wanted to give it. The answer was no, do not ordain an avowed practicing homosexual. That controversy went on for days, as when it's in the overtures, bills and overtures committee. Eventually, that committee, near the end of the convention, the assembly, brought forth a recommendation which said, we think that it is injudicious and not proper at this time to ordain this man. But, they said, we will form a study committee, if you approve it, to bring in a report two years later. I voted no on that recommendation. I thought the advice of Scripture was clear enough then. I thought the matter should be settled. We shouldn't get involved at the time, the money, the effort necessary. My point of view lost. The General Assembly voted to establish that 19-member task force committee to be appointed by the moderator. Last year, Pittsburgh Presbytery, which we are a part, petitioned the General Assembly again together with other presbyteries. Let's quit the study. Give up. It's a waste of time, effort, and money because Scripture speaks rather explicitly on this point. We lost again. Now the report has come out, and it will be up to the 700 commissioners who meet in San Diego in May who will decide whether or not to accept or reject the recommendation of that task force, which, as I understand it, and I have not read its completeness, there are 150 background pages. The policy that is asked to be adopted is 30 pages long. The minority report is 20 pages long. Haven't gotten it all read. But, as I understand it, what they are going to say or recommend is that every judicatory in other words, every presbytery will decide for itself if they will ordain an avowed practicing homosexual to the ministry. And every church will decide for itself whether or not it will ordain to elder and deacon avowed practicing homosexuals. That's the recommendation, as I understand it, that will be forthcoming. The minority report says no, and that will be debated some time yet to come. In all types of circles, already receiving telephone calls, letters, meetings are being set up all over these United States. And I guess as a representative, one who loves the United Presbyterian Church and is very concerned about her future, I'll have to leave you from time to time to go and participate in these discussions. I believe in the God of Revelation who continues to reveal his ideas and words to his people. I haven't been discussing the subject or studying it hard. Believe me, I have more important things to do, I think, in my list of priorities. But I've tried to give it some time and effort. God has not revealed anything new unto me than the previous position I held. But 
as a responsible churchman, as a responsible Christian. I shall get that report, and I'm ordering several copies for the library here in the church, and I hope that you will avail yourself of not reading just the press accounts, some of which already have been completely inaccurate, but you'll read the report itself. I hope we can discuss it in different areas. I'll try to keep you up to date the best that I possibly can. But I've got to be very honest with you. I'm a little upset that I have to take the time, the effort, and the money to get involved in this, which I think is a pretty revealing, answered question of Scripture. But I shall do so. And all I'm asking you to do is do likewise. And remember who you are before you speak or before you leave. Remember to wear your shoes of peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, said Jesus, for they are the children of God. Put on a top coat of faith. Paul says it should be a shield. We don't carry shields around much anymore. In those days, they had not only the hand shield for hand-to-hand combat, but they had the whole body shield behind which they would hide against those little fiery darts that could come out of nowhere unexpectedly and could hurt and inflame and hurt and burn. Apostle Paul is saying, if you're going to protect righteousness, truth, and peace, you better make sure you cover it all with faith. That's it. Faith is not only the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, but faith, you see, is what ensures righteousness, truth, and peace. Remember, we are Reformed Christians. That means in the Protestant tradition we believe in justification by faith. And if we don't have faith, ladies and gentlemen, we don't have anything else. So make sure you cover yourself with a heavy coat of faith. That is your shield. And put on the helmet of salvation. Don't think anybody wore a helmet here today. If you don't play football, ride a motorcycle, or play hockey, you probably don't have a helmet. In fact, we don't even have hats, most of us, anymore. I went to buy a hat in one of the branch stores of a big department store in Pittsburgh. Had to go to the shoe department. The shoe salesman sells the hats. Or if there's any message, somebody that sells to both extremes. But I'm not trying to sell hats, nor was Paul. What he's trying to say is make sure you have a heavy cover over your head. That's the vulnerable part. The enemy will go for the juggler. He'll go to smash your head. And make sure you have over your belief that cover that you are saved. Now listen, and listen carefully. Because I find from many of our college students who are on colleges and universities throughout this land, we have nearly 150 of them, they come home and I find that some of these liberal professors are trying really to get to their head. And that's not bad enough. We have what I call the clamoring charismatics who maybe live next door and who are really trying to get us to question ourselves by saying, I don't believe you are really saved because you don't believe just as do I. Some of those people, I think, are the ones that Jesus is talking about when he says, Beware 
of wolves who come dressed as sheep. And what I want to say to you is what you've already heard, but I want you to say it and underline it in your hat band. If you are baptized, if you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, in the name of Jesus Christ, I say unto you in remembering, in reminding you, you are saved. And don't let anybody tell you any different. We have too many Presbyterians and others who really are going around questioning whether or not they are. You are! Because of what Jesus Christ has done for you in his death. And if you believe it, you are saved. Never questioned. Martin Luther, when he used to write on the blackboard or on a slate, he always wrote in his native tongue at the top, I am baptized. That was to remind not other people but himself, I am saved. Do like Last thing in the spiritual wardrobe, and I know I've taken too long, but it's taking your hands, glove them with the Word of God. Real interesting. The Apostle Paul says you take the Word of God, you just don't love it with your heart, you just don't memorize it with your mind, but you use it with your hands. How does Jesus say it? Those disciples are not those who know my Word, but who do it.